0: Genesis chapter 22 this evening. Genesis chapter 22, this is going to be, I hope, a very familiar passage to each of us. Genesis chapter 22, this is going to be um, when God called on Abraham to go and offer his son Isaac. Now, of course, we should be familiar with the promises that God had given Abraham, one of those being that he was going to multiply his seed, that he was going to give him uh, a land inheritance, uh, and that it was all going to be through Isaac. And so that's very important as we look at this passage here in Genesis 22, verse 1. It says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt or test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. What is uh, so significant, as I mentioned before, is God putting Abraham to the test in this way. Um... And we remember the history. God had already promised Abraham an inheritance. He said that he was going to bless him and his descendants. And uh, the problem was Sarah couldn't have any children. They, they couldn't have any children. So they, they came up with this plan with Hagar, who is the handmaid of Sarah. And so Ishmael was born Uh, through them trying to help God keep his promise. And Abraham, twice before this, has said in places where he's traveled, because he's afraid that people are going to kill him, he has said, well, Sarah is not my wife. You know, she's my sister. And that was true. They they were brother and sister, didn't have uh, the same mother, but they were brother and sister. But he was trying to hide the fact that she was his wife because he was afraid that people would kill him because she was a beautiful woman and he was afraid that they would take her and kill him because of it. But right here you see a turning point. There isn't any indication in Genesis 22 that Abraham argues with God at all. In fact, we get a really clear picture when we flip over to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Flip over there if you don't mind quickly. We're going to look at that real real uh, quick. In Hebrews chapter 11, we have a writing about Abraham in this chapter that we call uh, the Hall of Faith. It is um, a passage that mentions several people in the Old Testament uh, speaking of the great faith that they had. And we have some verses about this uh, particular episode. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Now let's let's look at those verses closer. The writer of Hebrews says that Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. That should be significant because when we look in the account in Genesis 22, he didn't actually have to go all the way through it. But with God, he knows all the way to the end. He can see the potential of what things are about to occur. And so the writer of Hebrews mentions this and says that by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And then it says, he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Well, that's significant because... That is a reference to Abraham receiving the things that God had already told him. This word literally means that he took them up. He undertook them. God gave him this promise verbally. He has already given him his son Isaac, and Abraham received it. Abraham accepted the promises of God as they were sure promises. They were firm. And so the writer of Hebrews is very quick to point out that as well. That he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son. It's as though Abraham is going through with what God said that he was promising him to have... He was going to get Isaac, but now God was telling him to offer him and he is freely doing that. How was he able to do that? Well, he says in verse 19, accounting or reckoning or calculating that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. In Abraham's mind, when God told him to go offer up his son, he knows that this is the son that God's promised him, and that God's going to bless him through, the, through his son. He's already said that several times. He said that it is in Isaac that this promise is going to come. Even when Abraham said, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. No, it's not through Ishmael, it is through Isaac. And so after that, God says, I want you to go and offer him. And Abraham knows exactly what he's talking about. So why would he do that? Why wouldn't he argue with God? as would be normal, and say, but wait a minute, this is the one that you said you're going to bless me through, that my descendants will be as the sands of the sea. How can that happen if you're telling me to sacrifice him? In Abraham's mind, he didn't know that God was going to stop him, but what he believed, verse 19, accounting that God was able to raise him up from the dead, he believed God was going to cause him through this commandment, to actually go through with the sacrifice in killing Isaac. But accounting that that doesn't stop God's promises. God is going and able to bring him back from the dead if I have to go through with being obedient to him in this sacrifice. And that's what the the verse there literally means. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead... From whence also he received him in a figure. That is, as far as God was concerned, Abraham went through with it. And so he gave Isaac back to him as though he had brought him back from the dead. And that's what the end of the verse means right there. From whence, from that point, he received him figuratively from the dead. It is as though Abraham all already, he went all the way through the sacrifice, and then God brought him back to life and gave him back his son. Now, he didn't literally do that, but God looked at his faith and saw that he had that kind of faith to do that. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. He did. And so when we go back to our text, this helps us to understand a little bit more what the account is In Genesis. It came to pass after these things, after just what I said before. He had already lied about uh, Sarah being his wife a couple of times. Uh, They had already tried to help God keep his promises by Hagar uh, bearing a son, but that's not what God intended. That's not what he wanted them uh, to understand. He wanted to bless Abraham and Sarah with the son and give the promise to them. So now we see through his journey of faith that he really is progressing. Abraham has gotten to a point where his faith is something that can be tested, and he passes the test. And so he says, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love, and I want you to go to the land of Moriah. Moriah is a mountainous region. Now, at this time, that's what it is. He's, he's traveling. It says it after three days, he found the hill that God had told him to go and find. And later, this is going to be as far as what the Jews believe, because the uh, Temple Mount is on mount, mount Moriah, that this is the same region. And they believe it is the very same place. Uh, now, I mean, there is some arguing, but now the Dome of the Rock, it's this dome over there that's built over this foundation stone. Um, some Jews believe that is the very spot where the sacrifices were made and, and the threshing floor of Ornan, where David uh, saw the angel that came, you know, and uh, there was this plague, and uh, God stopped the angel, and that's where he was, and and David said, right here is where the temple is going to be built, and Solomon built it on that point, and so it is supposed to be the same region. Uh, that's why it is so significant. Now the Muslims, they say, no, it was Ishmael that was offered there, um, you know, and then and they even say that's the place where. Uh, Muhammad went up to heaven, you know, uh, th- through that uh, night journey. They they talk about. There's even a hole there um, that that goes down to a cavern, and there's lots of uh, folklore uh, on that. There's supposed to be a depression in that rock where they say, well, Muhammad was on this horse, you know, and uh, the horse uh, um, took off and made this depression in the rock. I don't believe any of that. Uh, But I do think that it's very significant that that is probably the place where the temple was. But at any rate, this land of Moriah, many years before the temple was built, God is telling Abraham, I want you to go to this place that I'm going to tell you of and I want you to offer your son. And so he did. Verse 3 says, Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac his son and the wood that is split the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of went unto the place of which God had told him on the third day Abraham lifts up his eyes he looks and he sees this place that God has told him so he tells his servants to stay behind but look what it says verse five back in Genesis twenty two abide ye here with the donkey and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you see that's very significant. He's not shirking his his responsibility to God at all. God said, I want you to take your son. And we just read in Hebrews that what Abraham was thinking was, well, this is what God wants me to do, but God is able to bring him back. What, What foundation of faith he must have had when he says to these men with full confidence, you stay here, my son and I will go up here and we'll worship and we'll come back. That's faith. You can see how he has grown, how he has journeyed through this faith. Because earlier, I don't think he could have done that. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went, both of them, together. Now look at this. Isaac spoke... To Abraham, his father. And said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, here's there's a lot of things in here. But one of the things that stands out to me is Isaac knew what a proper sacrifice needed. Now, we have to go all the way back to Adam and Eve. The first animal sacrifice was when God took the life of an animal to give coverings for Adam and Eve after they had sinned. Now remember first, when they realized after eating the tree of knowledge uh, and their eyes were open, they knew that they had done wrong and then they were ashamed. And when God came walking in the garden before he would come in the garden and he conversed with Adam. We know for sure. Um, But now they're frightened of him and they're ashamed. And God says, what's the matter? Well, I I was ashamed. I hid myself because I was naked. And he said, well, who told you that? Have you eaten of the tree? Well, they had sowed fig leaves together to make themselves coverings, which is exactly what is a picture of mankind as we try to atone for our own sins. But it wasn't enough. The atonement for sin has always had to be the shedding of the blood of an innocent person, completely sinless person. And this is going to be Jesus. When God took the life of of an animal that even before the law was instituted the mosaic law when god took the life of that innocent animal it was a foreshadow of jesus christ it was because they needed coverings and it was a picture to them now we don't have this in the scripture laid out for us in so much detail until you get to the Mosaic Law. But there's a lot of history of mankind before that. And when you get to Cain and Abel, you know, we we want to say, well, how come that just seems... I remember even thinking when I was a little boy, that just seems unfair that God accepted uh, Abel's offering, didn't accept Cain. I mean, uh, for all we know, Cain gave all the best of what he had. You know, the crops, he was a farmer, things like that but it didn't fit the picture. Offering crops to God was the same thing as what Adam and Eve did when they sowed fig leaves together, trying to cover for their sin. And so the, the, the sacrifice that Cain was giving was a complete distortion of what the sacrifice needed to be. And that's why Abel's sacrifice was acceptable, because it was an animal sacrifice. It did foreshadow what Jesus was going to do. Now, what we we can infer from this is the same thing that had been going on generation after generation. It would have been the father's position in a family household to teach the children this is what God expects. These sacrifices are done to point, for, uh, to, to point to our sins needing to be atoned for. And so when you have Abraham offering the sacrifice, already Isaac understands what a proper sacrifice needs to be. And so while they're going... Uh, he just looks around and he says, well, you know, we've got wood, we've got stuff to make a fire, we've got everything, we've we've got the knife, but um, where's the lamb? That, to me, reminds me of what is going to happen a little bit later, and we read about in Deuteronomy chapter 6, This passage has always been uh, a favorite of mine. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, God gave the law to Moses during the first generation that left Egyptian bondage. And we read that in the Old Testament. And then we remember that before they went into the promised land, it took them a couple of years, they went down to Mount Sinai, got the law, came up, and went and camped at Kadesh Barnea. They sent in the 12 spies to spy out the land. And that was when they were supposed to go into the land and take it. Well, they were afraid, and they didn't. And God was angry with them and said... You know, they were making this stuff up thinking, you know, if we go in there, our children are going to be held hostage, you know. And he says, you know, the children that you were afraid, your children were going to be hostage, they're going to get to inherit the land and all of you people are going to die in the wilderness. And they did. Everyone except Joshua and Caleb, two of the spies that went in. And then they came back and gave a good report and said that we should go in. Well, before, the, you know, they, they wandered in the wilderness for uh, a total of 40 years. They came around Edom, came up on the east side of the Jordan River, conquered uh, the lands of King Sihon and, uh, uh, I've forgotten, Bashan. uh, And then came across the Jordan River. And before they did that, Moses repeated the law to them. And that's why you have Deuteronomy. That was a long explanation for the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is Latin for the second law or the second giving of the law. And so through this, he's repeating all of the things that God has given them. In Deuteronomy 6, this is what he says. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I shall command thee this day, this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and upon thy gates. Now that's later, granted. But I believe that there was a pattern set forth from Adam and Eve as they are teaching their children and one generation after another teaching the ones coming behind them, this is what God requires. And I think that's why you see uh, Isaac really grasping what a proper sacrifice ought to be. We don't really know how old he is, but... Um, it is speculated that he is probably a young teenager at this point. And so he asks his father, you know, we've got everything else. Back in Genesis 22, he says, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. Now you're going to see a pattern here. God has told Abraham to do something. It doesn't make sense, but he has enough faith that God is still going to be able to keep keep his promise. Even if he goes through and has to sacrifice his son, God is going to bring him back from the dead. We see that in the book of Hebrews. So he goes without hesitation to offer his son. And on the way, his son, recognizing that there's not a lamb, asks where the lamb is. And Abraham says, God will provide. There's the faith. God will provide. It says they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now, we're not told any details, but I think that's for a reason. What I see here is the faith of Abraham having this will of obedience to do something that God has commanded him to do, and I also see the submission of his son. And that's, I think that's important for us to see. Now, Abraham probably didn't understand the whys and wherefores. And, and, and surely Isaac didn't either. But he was submissive. I believe sometimes there are things that test our faith. There are things that just don't make sense. We go in a direction God has wanted us to go. We feel fairly strong about it, and, and there are things that seem to collide with that. Lots of times things have happened to me, and I just could not fathom what was happening until I got on the other side. And then I could look back and I could see, oh, okay, I see what you were doing now, Lord. I wish I could say that I was just as faithful as Abraham and just as submissive as Isaac in every circumstance. But this to me is a lesson to show us God knows what He's doing even if we don't. And that we can have enough faith in Him that He knows what He's doing and He's going to work everything out so long as we're following His will and we just need to be submissive. And so you see the submissiveness of Isaac not putting up a fight. Now you say, well, he bound him. Well, probably, uh, and I don't want to spiritualize too much of it, but probably binding him because you're naturally going to uh, flinch or whatever if a knife is raised over you. Uh, I don't really know, but that's what, that's what we're seeing here, that he bound his son when they came to the place. And verse 10 says, Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Now, the word no, God didn't forget his omniscience. Uh, This is a, a verb that is an experiential knowledge. It is something that means an acknowledgement or to be acquainted with. Now I know, now I see it, now it's apparent that you fear God. And the reason I'm saying this, you have not withheld your son. He didn't kill him. But that's what I'm saying. God knows what's in our heart. And He knows what's going to be written about Abraham several thousand years later in the book of Hebrews that he accounted, he calculated, he reasoned in his mind, knowing God will bring him back to life when I sacrifice him. And so God sees that kind of faith, and he says, you fear me, and you have not withheld your son from me. Your only son, the one that I told you through him, you're going to be blessed. Now, we want to say, well, well there's Ishmael now. Why does he say this is his only son? It's because it's the only son through Sarah. And that's what the promise was. And so then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering uh, in the stead of his son, And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Jehovah-Jireh, that is Hebrew, literally, for God will provide or God has provided. Now, if you back up to verse 8, my son, God will provide, that is the same Hebrew word, provide, provide. It literally means God will look to it. He will see to it. He is here. That God there is Elohim. And the one down in verse 14, Jehovah, this is the proper name of God. And so it's saying the same thing. And because he named that place Jehovah-Jireh, God will provide or God has provided the proverb came to be in response to that in relation to that as it is said to this day in the mount of the lord it shall be seen so lord there and it shall be seen are actually the same things it's jehovah jireh again but in a sentence form uh, it's not just a noun it's a it's an proper noun but then it's the verb god will see to it and it becomes a proverb for the hebrews it is a proverb so that they can remind each other, listen, God's got this. He will look to it. He will provide. He will see to it. And so the whole episode, the whole story, the place itself, later becoming the site of the uh, of the temple, all of it becomes a, a sort of motto for life for the nation of Israel. That God will provide. And He did. He provided His Son who was given in sacrifice that all of us, the entire human race, can go to be fully reconciled with God and be in heaven with God and live with Him forever and ever and ever. And because of that sacrifice, not this one, but the one that it looked forward to, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, we understand the same thing God will provide. No matter how difficult it gets on this earth, uh, no no matter what the hardship is, no matter how much our faith is tested, God will provide. And just as Isaac must have understood what a sacrifice was, and though he may not have understood what his father was doing, he was submissive. He did follow through with what his father said. God will provide. Many years ago, I was reading a book. There was a man, I won't tell, him, tell his name. There was a man who was running for the president of the United States, and it was kind of an unknown. So he had written a book, and I, I just read it because I wanted to find out what kind of person he was. He related this story, and I was very, very disappointed. He was talking about this story and said, you know, what if somebody did that today? Somebody said, well, God's told me to kill my son, and we saw them raise that knife, and boy, that would just be horrifying to us. And, and so he reasoned that because that is a difficult scenario to accept, that is a difficult, difficult passage He claimed to be a born-again Christian. He claimed to believe this right here. But because that is a difficult passage, he said this is why he leaves religion private and never speaks of it publicly. And it, it had no place in public life, in politics. That's what he was getting at. Well, it's been a few years, and this person was elected president. It's been a few years and now I see where that's gotten him. When you don't put God in your life and God, you know, granted there are difficult passages in the scripture. But just because they're difficult doesn't mean that I just need to leave leave them over there. And I don't need to live by them. This is a wonderful story. It is a heartwarming story. It is a story of a man who had that kind of faith in God that when God would command him to do something that difficult, he didn't hesitate. There, yes, was a journey of faith for Abraham. Because as I said, a few years before, I don't think he would have done that. But he did here. And God knew he would. And God saw what he was doing and accounted it as faithfulness, as righteousness, and said, you have not even, you have not withheld your son from me. And so the writer of Hebrews says that he received him back, figuratively, from the dead. And as we see again in Deuteronomy 6, the lessons there, I see that we have such, we have such a fragile world that it is an incentive for each of us to teach the generations coming behind us the importance of the truths of God. When we live in a time where um, more and more there's so many things, so many distractions in the world, so many things vying for the attention of our young people and, and so many different ways they could go, it is so important to keep them grounded in the Word of God. And this lesson to me is is one of those lessons that are very important that we just uh, they stay stand, stand out. And as, as God was saying later to the nation of Israel, you take these laws and you teach them. You teach them when you're walking around. Teach them to your children. When, when you're lying down, when you're rising up, it's important. The foundation of our church, I think, is only as good as the foundation that we build for our young people.